This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So I'm reading a new book on value investing. It actually came out last year in 2022, but I'm now getting to it. And it's called The Case for Long-Term Value Investing. Well, that seems basic, right? The subtitle is A Guide to the Data and Strategies that Drive Stock Market Success. And it's by Jim Cullen. It's C-U-L-L-E-N. And he's the chairman and CEO of Schaefer Cullen Capital Management. So the book has 38 short chapters and a lot of charts and graphs. And um, it's not very long. Wait, let me see how many pages. Um, If you're reading all the way through to the acknowledgments, it's 250 pages. So very doable. And uh, Jim, in his bio, it said he started on Wall Street in 1965, and he started with Merrill Lynch. He founded his own management company in 1984. That's the Schaefer Cullen Capital Management And his firm now manages more than $20 billion. He's got almost 60 years of experience. And that's great because the more experience you have in investing, the better it is, basically. Because we all learn from our mistakes. And we all live through various cycles, right? We all do, uh, if you're in it long enough, live through the bulls, which we just had. And maybe now we're in another bear Uh, There is a chapter in the book on like the secular bulls and bears. I haven't gotten to that yet, but um, that's in there. And it's great that he's written this book to share his experience because, again, not many have 60 years experience in investing and especially with value. So this book can easily be read by the individual chapters. It's not necessarily the type where you have to start at the beginning and go all the way to the end, which is working for me right now. And I uh, was kind of skimming through the book and halted immediately on chapter 23. And I halted because it's called small cap value, which, as you know, is one of my favorite topics as a value investor. So I read it. Um, It didn't take long because it is three pages. That's a small cap value chapter. I said there's like many small chapters. That's what makes this book easy. And it's like a good resource to just kind of be like, "Eh, I'm wondering about dividends. What does he have to say about that? You can just kind of jump in. It does actually give like a history of the stock market kind of in the beginning and um, kind of And then it talks about the value strategy. Some of that is a little bit more in depth. I'll, I'll, you know, I haven't read those chapters yet. I'm going to read those and maybe I'll do an overview on what his strategy is. And then he has these like kind of individual chapters on these more like subtopics, like small cap value. So, of course, I read the three pages. He uses small cap as three billion or less. Sometimes I've used two billion. Some people use the one billion. I noticed on the Zach's small cap, uh, small small cap screen on uh, Zach's.com on the screening tool. That's one of the premium screenings uh, screens on there. That one uses one billion or less. So that's really small. So I kind of like it that he does choose the three billion because it does open up the universe a little bit more. So what is it about small cap value? Uh, You know, he talks about how 
our instincts, well, that's me. My instincts tell me that small cap growth should be where the best returns are, right? Those are usually where the hot stocks are. You want that growth. But the book cites a Morningstar study done in 2005 that shows that $1 invested in 1927 in small cap growth was $1,723 by 2005. So that's 78 years. But the $1 invested in small cap value was $20,920 by 2005. So the growth was 1,723, the value was 20,092 over 78 years. So then he goes on to argue that the reason the value outperforms is uh, in the small caps is because of takeovers. And the companies are on sale, they're value stocks, they tend to get acquired. We see this a lot with like small cap banks, he talks about that. And, but we see it a lot um, actually with some of the companies I'm gonna talk about today. <laughs> they're getting slightly bigger because they are acquiring other even smaller small cap companies. But that's how a lot of small cap companies can grow and um, you know the acquisitions and or being taken over and absorbed by a larger company is a way that a lot of investors you know can do real well with a lot of these. The book also talks about a study on the S&P 500 that showed that the smallest 20% of the S&P 500 by market cap because we know that there's like these huge mega caps like the Microsofts and then there's some in the S&P 500 that are just way smaller, you know, that are like, you know, 7 billion, 10 billion, they're just much much smaller and that those those smaller ones tend to outperform the overall S&P 500. So they had a study from 1968 to 2020 and the compounded annualized return of the S&P 500 was 10.1% during that time period. But the smallest 20% by market cap was 14.6. So that's significant. That's almost, it's 4.5% better. And that's huge in your returns. If you're compounding that year over year, it's just enormous. So even in the large cap stocks, it's the smaller of the large caps that kind of goes against what we, we've been thinking the last couple of years, right? Because it's been these like mega caps that have outperformed the uh, Microsoft's, Apple, the trillion dollar market caps. But since 1968, that really hasn't been the case. And the years after a sharp correction, he shows this in like a chart in the book. Uh, so we had the dot-com bust in 2000 to 2002, where the S&P 500 was down all three of those years. But in 2003, it finally rebounded, had a big rally. So the S&P 500 was up 28.7% in 2003, but the smallest components by market cap were up 67.9%. Then it looks at 2009's uh, that rebound. So 2008 was the correction, although it hit bottom in 2009, but then 2009 it rebounded. The S&P was up 26.5%, but the smallest components in it were up 85.5. So huge difference in even just the S&P 500. So I know what you're thinking. The small cap value 
that has really underperformed, right? I, I've been saying this for years. Oh, it's it's so terrible. Uh, small cap growth has been so much better. And a lot of that reason is because of the financials that have been in small cap value. It's about, you know, over it's over 20% right now of the small cap value. Most of the small cap value funds or indexes and things are um, over 20% on the value in the value is in the financials and that's mostly banks there's some insurance companies and some other things in there but it's mostly the smaller like community and regional banks and that's just struggled over the last you know 14 15 years now um but i took a look to see what's happening now after we had the big sell-off in 2022 especially in the growth side that was a big sell-off even among small caps not just big cap you know fangman stocks sold off in 2022 it was small caps too and now there's been an interesting development right <laughs> very interesting so i used Vanguard's small cap value fund, that's ticker VBR, and I use their small cap growth fund, it's ticker V as in Victor, B as in boy, K. So the, the value is V as in Victor, B as in boy, R, and the growth is K. And the interesting thing about both of these funds, they were started on the same day. So it's very uh, easy to compare you know, what their performance has been because they launched them on the exact same day. And that day was January 26th, 2004. So Vanguard small cap value since inception now annualized return from January 26, 2004 is 8.46%. But the small cap growth now is from the same day, January 26, 2004 is 8 0.23%. So suddenly small cap value is now outperforming the growth. Over the 10 year small cap value, I'm thinking, nah, that's probably, you know, well under what growth was. But 10 years, 10.27% for small cap value. Small cap growth, 10 year, 9.26. So almost a percent below now for small cap growth. Now what's happened over the last year, this is where you know it's been rough. And this is as of the end of 2022. So January 31st, 2022 is this data. So uh, the one year for 2022 small cap growth down 28.4% as you might expect. It's growth, everything was down on the growth side. But small cap value, it was down too, but down just 9.3%. So that's a huge difference in that last year. And that plays into the 10-year returns in a dramatic fashion. So suddenly, value isn't looking too shabby compared to the small cap growth, which was outperforming it year after year for many years in there. Also, the small cap growth fund VBK, it does pay a dividend, it's yielding 0.6% as of the end of uh, last year. And now the value is yielding 2.2 in that uh, same time period. So again, 
might not seem like it's that big a deal, 0.6 and 2.2, but it's well over a percent difference. And when you're compounding year after year, it makes a huge difference. <laughs> it's it's going to matter big in the um, returns. So those little dividends matter. And there is a chapter in the book on the dividends, but I haven't gotten to that yet because I might want to do a no, whole other episode on just the dividends and what he feels uh, really makes those important for value investing. So the differences in the funds, small cap growth has 698 stocks as of November 30th, 2022, value was bigger. It had 882. The PE ratios, growth was at 21.6 times, as you might expect. It's the growth fund. Nobody cares about the PEs. You want growth and you're willing to pay more for it. But the value was at 10.6. So when the market turned in 2022 and it turned its back on growth and what the earnings were like became more important for investors. Suddenly that PE of 10.6 was looking pretty good. And it was, you know, uh, better to buy the cheaper stocks than these others where growth is gonna be hit as the Fed is raising uh, interest rates. Now, what's the difference between these in terms of like industries? The growth fund, the largest industry is tech. Not a surprise, that's probably why you're buying it. Tech is 25.14%, healthcare is at 21, and then the industrials at 15.6. In value, it is the financials, as I mentioned, 21.18. Industrials, number two, at 20.03. So bigger than in the growth, but um, also a huge percentage of the value. And then consumer cyclicals, 11.74. So you're not even getting any tech there in the top three. So that's one of the big differences as well. So maybe the last year has really turned the tide for small cap value um, because we're getting that 10 year of 10.27%. That's not too bad especially considering that it was underperforming until the last year. What happens when it really outperforms? And there are these certain time periods when it tends to do that. So um, right now it is down much less than the growth and you are getting the bigger dividend. And as I mentioned, the dividend will really compound over the next several years or decades. And that's where you're really gonna see the outperformance as well. So I decided to screen to find the small cap value again. We've done small cap value screens pretty often on the podcast. You can go back and look at the old ones because those are good to look at too. But this is one here for 2023 and I created it on my own. I did not use a predefined screen that's on zax.com, although there is a small cap one that has growth and value that's on there. But this time I wanted to create my own because his book uses the 3 billion level and I wanted to use that too. So I wanted to create my own. And so for the value part of it, I decided to use the price to sales ratio under one. And I wanted some growth in there. So I used the peg ratio also under one, which really does get you, you know, a PE component to it because the peg has the PE in there. But I 
I originally thought, oh, maybe I'll put a PE in there too. But then I was getting like much fewer stacks. So I got rid of it. I just kept it at peg and price to sales. And then since we have access to the Zach's rank and he didn't, um, I added on the Zach's rank. Why wouldn't I? Of number ones and number twos. Those are the strong buys and the buys. And remember what the Zach's rank does indicate. It should indicate that the analysts are raising estimates or the, you know, something good is happening with the estimates. They're not cutting, they're raising it, which is somewhat rare right now, but we are in earnings season. So there's a lot of adjustments being made now to the earnings and we're getting some pre-announcements and earnings get adjusted there too. So right now there's 970 stocks that are Zach's number ones or number twos. So I thought, oh, for sure. You know, I should be able to get like plenty of value amongst these, right? We've just had this big sell-off, wouldn't there be? So I added in the peg, the price of sales, and I only got 21 stocks. And that's before I added in the market cap component. So just 21 are like super dirt cheap out of that huge group with the good rank. So then I added on the market cap of 3 billion or less, and then I only got eight stocks. So clearly a bunch of the highly ranked cheap stocks are actually small caps because it's eight out of 21. The rest would be mids and bigs, obviously. But um, I am kind of surprised, surprised that it's not more given that, you know, stocks have pulled back so much. But um, I guess I'm not surprised as the Fed continues to raise rates, it's going to be difficult to get that growth component which I threw in there with the peg. And so these are a little bit more rare stocks here on small, small cap, rare small cap value stocks. <laughs> Let's call them that. Um, I do have to warn you, you probably never heard of most of these stocks because I haven't. There is one that we all know. I'm going to talk about it at the end of the podcast, but most of them, um, a few. If you have heard of them, it's only because I've covered them on other podcasts. So occasionally on our other small cap or just even like dirt cheap value stock podcasts, some of these names did show up and we have talked about them in the past, but you probably don't remember them. So it's good to good to get them again. Um, I tried to pick some that were completely new so that we get some new blood in there. And I'm only going to do three stocks and then I'm going to talk about the fourth one we all know kind of at the end there because I wanted to look a little bit deeper into what's going on with some of these. Uh, what do they do? Why are things so good? Why are they cheap? Why isn't Wall Street paying any attention? Are these hidden gems? All this good stuff. So let's jump in and see what's on here. So the first stock I picked, um, I've never looked at before. It is in retail. It's a period, K period, A period, and it's all lowercase letters, AKA brands, <laughs> AKA brands holding. And the ticker is AKA. So that's easy to remember. And what they say they do is we spot, scale, and grow next generation fashion brands. So they're a brand accelerator. Most of it is direct to consumer, so it's online. But one of their brands just opened up its first U.S. flagship brick and mortar store in Las Vegas in November 2022. That was a big deal because it's all online. But now they're going into brick and mortar because brick and mortar still does matter. And the names of the brands are, maybe you know some of these, Princess Polly, Culture Kings, 
That's the one that opened the flagship in Las Vegas. Pedal and Pup, Reb Dolls, and M-N-M-L. It's all capitals. M, N is a Nancy, M is a Mary, L. And so a lot is going on with these brands. Um, in the third quarter, which we heard from them, I think it was like November, uh, their active customers were up 23%. Gross margins did go up year over year to 55.7 from 53.2. I'm liking those gross margins, actually. They have cash on hand of 31.3 million, but they do have debt of 129.9 million. They have a lot of inventory, as you might expect, with apparel and like accessories, these kinds of brands. They just Everybody got too much inventory in 2022, and they're trying to get rid of it. So it is good to see those gross margins a little elevated, um, at least year over year. So we'll see what happened in the holiday quarter coming up soon. Um, they did have to draw down $25 million on their revolving credit line in the first quarter of 2022. That's like added to the debt levels there. Uh, this stock has been all over the place. So I'm not going to lie. So its market cap is only $193 million. So very few people know it, very few people following it. It's uh, only went IPO in October 2021 during the kind of the big IPO frenzy. And now it is definitely getting punished, but it is cheap. So 52-week high is $8.37, but I think it went IPO in 2021 around $10. But um, it's way down the low is a dollar 12 and it's now trading around a dollar 50 so it's come way down peg is at 0.92 price to sales is 0.3 and it does have a pe its pe is 14 because in 2021 it made 15 cents that's when it went ipo so it was profitable 2022 the analysts and there are a few analysts covering it are at zero. So not negative, but zero. But we'll see what happens in the fourth quarter with that one. Um, 2023, they're a little more bullish again at 11 cents. So back to profitability, hopefully in 2023. But who knows? Because if we get a recession, consumer might pull back on some of this uh, their items. So I'm not a big fan of the retail or apparel or any of that right here, depending on what category it's in. And some of this is a lot of like apparel and things. Um, but I am encouraged that they opened up this flagship in Las Vegas. Travel is back. Las Vegas stores for retailers um, are back to doing, you know, very good business. So that could be a big boost here, but we'll see. This is a Zach's number two buy stock and that's AKA brands. It's AKA. Uh, so now you can kind of see where we're going with small cap value. And remember, small cap value is going to be these hidden gems. It's it's not a thing. It's going to be companies that are new or newer um, that are less known and they're small. So, you know, they're they're it's just much more volatile and less covered. So keep that in mind. Okay, the number two company is one we've talked about at least one other time in the past. It's Verative, Verative, Verative. I'm probably saying it wrong. Tell me what it is, Verative. V as in Victor, R as in Robert, 
T is in Tom, V is in Victor is the ticker. And you might remember these guys, they're headquartered in Atlanta. They're a full service provider of packaging. They have uh, Yan San and hygiene products, services and solutions. They also do print and publishing. They also have logistics and supply chain management with distribution centers throughout the US and Mexico. So they're kind of all over with the packaging, logistics, supply chain, and then they have these hygiene products that also may go to those kind of businesses. Um, but the interesting thing for them in the third quarter, net sales were up 2.1%, but organic sales up 14.9%. And they have great free cash flow. For, so the last nine months of the year 2022, it was 140.8 million. And they had record earnings in the third quarter. Uh, they did have a big share repurchase plan going on. It was $200 million. They completed it as of the third quarter and that bought back about 20% of the shares outstanding. So that's a big deal. And then the board decided, and eh, we've had enough with the share buybacks. We feel good enough about our free cash flow in the business. We're going to initiate a dividend. So they did. It's now paying a dividend as of the fourth quarter and the dividend is yielding 2%. So that's not too shabby either. It's very, very rare, somewhat rare to have a small cap company that is paying a dividend. Uh, market cap for this one is a little bit bigger, 1.67 billion. So it's not near the three, but it is bigger than AK that we just talked about, uh, considerably bigger. Um, and this one, what does the earnings look like? So in 2021, they made $9.01. In 2022, this is the record year, $23.50. It is expected to go down next year to $16.80, uh, down 28.5%, but coming off that record, not a surprise. Shares are still really cheap. So even as it comes down, it still remains a value. Peg ratio is 0.47. Price to sales is 0.23. It does also as the PE, obviously, PE is 7.4, so very cheap on the PE level. And it's Zach's number one strong buy right here. Um, it's very lightly covered. I think we just have one estimate on it. What is the stock doing? So the 52-week high on Verative is $161.10. The low was at $85.57. So huge pullback on this small cap company. Now it's at 122.21, so a big rebound, and it's up 17% in just the last month. So this is the type of stock, it's still dirt cheap, but it was oversold. Uh, buyers have come back in and bought it up a bit. Um, I would like to get it even cheaper if I could. So I might wait for the earnings and see if, you know, what happens there if there's some kind of sell off in the shares or even the overall market sells off again, this will probably fall again because the small caps, you know, they're just not widely followed. And as the market sells off, the small caps will too. So I could get this cheaper, I'd be happy, but on a classic valuation level, it still is dirt cheap and now I'm getting the dividend. So I like this company a lot, uh, VRTV is the ticker there again. And then the third company, I don't think I've 
ever talked about. Um, so this is an interesting one too. It's Sterling Infrastructure. Ticker is S is in Sam, T is in Tom, R is in Robert, L is in Larry. S T R L. And I picked it out of the list of eight because I saw infrastructure in there, and I was like, yeah, I want to see what this company is all about because we just passed a trillion dollar infrastructure plan. And so who's going to benefit? Sterling infrastructure, right? But the business is a little bit different than what I thought just based on the name. And it's even more intriguing once I dug in. So they say on their website that we build, we create, we facilitate change. That's their tagline. In 2005, they announced, or in 2015, they announced a new strategy to try to grow the business. So at that time, they were 95% in heavy civil type of infrastructure building. Um, their margins in 2016 were at 6.1%. They wanted to reduce the heavy civil because that's low margin business, introduce more higher margin business, grow the business that way and provide more um, you know, value to the shareholders basically and try to transform their business from kind of this slow growth uh, company to bigger growth. So now they operate in three different categories. So they specialize in e-infrastructure. And what that means is large scale site development for data centers, e-commerce distribution centers, just commercial buildings, warehousing, transportation, energy, and, and things like that. So that's a big growth segment of their business. We know everybody was building <laughs> distribution centers during the pandemic that will probably slow, but the data centers are still you know, pretty hot and in demand. And now we have these other categories, including energy that are picking up steam. Their second category is called building solutions, and that includes residential and commercial concrete foundations for single family homes and multifamily homes and parking structures, elevated slabs and other concrete projects. So I was not expecting them to be in res residential building doing the foundations. Um, the third category is transportation solutions. This is where the heavy civil infrastructure part is. And they um, do that and rehab projects for highways, roads, bridges, airports, ports, light rail, water, wastewater, and storm drainage systems. So that was a slow growth area, and they've been reducing that, increasing their exposure to these other two areas, e-infrastructure and building solutions, and growing the business that way. Their customers include people you might imagine, government agencies, Fortune 100 companies, you know, uh, people building the data centers, obviously, um, and then top home builders as well, as you might imagine, with those concrete foundations. What have earnings been doing? So in 2021, they made $2.15. 2022, expected to make $3.14. 2023, up 9.9% to $3.45. They are still cheap. Peg, 0.5. Price to sales, 0.5. They're both going to be under one, obviously, if they made the screen. It is Small cap, obviously, but a little bit smaller than uh, the company we just talked about at 981 million. So almost a billion market cap for them. It is exact number two buy stock. They do not pay a dividend, and I couldn't find any share buyback program either. 
PE is just 9.4 on this one, so dirt cheap there too. And uh, digging in a little bit more, they too had record third quarter results. They reported at the end of October and they raised full year guidance. I should have mentioned Veritiv also raised their full year guidance. They only have the fourth quarter still to go, but not many companies are raising still into the end of the year, but they both of these have been. Revenue was up 20% to 556.9 million. Cash flow from operations over the first nine months, 130.6 million. Their cash on hand as of September 30th was 146.5 million. That's why I looked to see if maybe they were doing a share buyback or something else going on with the cash side. But the, this amount of cash might be a little bit more than what they were expecting. Um, they do have non-cash expenses they laid out. They have very clear website, nice uh, event presentations every quarter. So they have 45 million to 47 million on non-cash expenses for the year. That's stock-based compensation, income tax, depreciation, things like that. And then they have uh, two upcoming scheduled term loan payments. 2022, it's 23.2 million for that year. 2023, 31.9 million. So these could be the reasons, you know, they're holding on to some of this cash, but they have they have cash here to pay these things. So that's always the good thing. Uh, the backlog at the end of the third quarter was up 12% to 1.67 billion from the end of. 2021. They did increase gross margins again in the third quarter, up 220 basis points to 14.7%. So you can really see this new strategy is working to increase that gross margin, increase profitability, and um, they're seeing some good results. Now they do do a lot of acquisitions. They acquire a lot of smaller companies, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollars. Um, here and there. So some of this cash is also going to acquisitions, which is growing the business in their select uh, geographic locations. They are in you know, the West, they're headquartered in Texas. So they're down there, um, the Southeast. I think they said Hawaii, California, um, no, almost nothing in the Midwest, however, with them. They have 290 projects underway as of the third quarter. And uh, if you go on their website, you can kind of see some of the announcements of things that are going on. Like, so they just had, um, I didn't write it down or did I? They just had an announcement. Yeah, in September, they announced they were awarded a $45 million site development contract for Rivian's new electric vehicle facility in Georgia. So those are the type of products that they're getting. That's a very nice little contract there, right? For 45 million, very um, excited, I'm sure, to announce that latest project. So there's a lot going on in all these areas. There's a lot of in EVs. There's the semiconductor facilities that are being built. There's some solar investment that um, I just saw announced. So this kind of company trying to get in on the action on all of that and is well situated to get in there. So what is the stock doing? We know it's cheap. The shares um, over the last year are actually up 15.3%. And over the last three months, gotten a big boost here, probably off that last record earnings, up 32%. 
52-week high on the shares are $34.86. The low was at $20.46. It's now at $32.17. So that low was a real buying opportunity here. But again, like with Verative, it is still cheap. But if it pulls back some more on a bigger market sell-off, then that might be the time, you know, to keep it on your watch list and dive in on some of these that have had little rallies here that if we see further declines. Now, over the last five years, since they put the strategy into effect, um, it really has made a difference in the share price. The shares are up 110% in that five-year time period. So it has both a growth component and it's still a value and it's a small cap. So this is the type of stock small cap value really loves. And it's one of the companies that's acquiring a bunch of smaller companies and that's where their growth component comes from. So it's ignored by the street because nobody knows it um, and nobody follows it, but maybe we should be, right? So that's Sterling Infrastructure, S-T-R-L. And um, one of the other ones I want to talk about, even though those are the three I'm mainly highlighting, I wanted to talk about the one that we all do know that was on the list, and it's Urban Outfitters. I've talked about it many times on the Value Investor podcast because it is still cheap, it has good rank, and it keeps showing up on all these lists. So Urban Outfitters, ticker URBN. It's not just Urban Outfitters. It's also Anthropology and Free People. They have terrain. Um, they they run some restaurants. I, I, of course, love that aspect of it. They're into the experiences. They're starting to grow that side of the business. It's not their main focus. It still is uh, apparel. And that's, again, like AKA, a little dubious for me. So it is a number two, however, buy. It's cheap. Peg is 0.88. Price to sales is 0.88. Five four market cap. This was the largest company on the list of eight at two point five four billion. Um, over the last five years, it's just been a real struggle to own this stock. The shares are down eighteen point six percent, even though it's had some good quarters, especially during the pandemic, and then it's had a lot of bad. So it just hasn't ever really gotten traction like a Lululemon or um, even an Athleta has done um, in terms, well, that's Gap, so I guess I shouldn't compare it to that. But Lulu, in terms of the stock price, it just hasn't, but that's why it's cheap and a value, right? The market's kind of ignoring it. But over the last three months, it has gotten a bid. It's up 18.5% in that time period as people started buying up the retailers again. Um, Over the last year, however, it's down 3.1%, but that's not too terrible given the worries over the holiday season and what is happening with inventories, which were just way too high. So what happens when inventory is too high on the retail side? They just mark it down and then they, (laughs) they lose more money, like the margins contract. You know, suddenly it's good for us. We can get, you know, the $200 pair of jeans for, you know, some kind of discount at least 20 or 30% off, or in some cases, 50% off, but it's bad for the retailers. But they just have to work through this large inventory issue. And they all are mostly doing it in this year through this fiscal year, which is ending in a couple of weeks here in January, usually. And then they will wipe out most of that inventory, 
They don't have anything still like held back on the ships because the supply chain has improved and they know a little bit more what the customer demand is going to be looking like here for spring, even into summer. And they're uh, buying to accommodate that now. But we got to make it through the next couple of weeks here and see what happens and what kind of guidance they give. So the stock 52-week high is $30.52. The low is at $17.81. So pretty big pullback there, almost 50%. And then currently, they're they're back up there. Uh, they're at $27.23. They don't pay any dividend. They used to, I want to say, uh, maybe even before the pandemic. Is that right? I, I felt like Urban Outfitters might have paid one back in the day, but not anymore. So no dividend there. And this one, um, a little bit rockier. So you might see my pattern here. I'm trying to steer myself away from some of the apparels. They have already caught a bid. They're all like up big. I'm going to wait and kind of see what happens, um, you know, with this next earnings report and what kind of guidance, if any, they're able to give on what they see with the consumer, because that's where the real unknown is coming. Usually on a recession, the consumer pulls back and certainly on apparel. Um, and even accessories, that kind of stuff. So that's going to be impacted possibly the most out of any of these kind of small cap companies and certainly out of retail. So let me recap the stocks I did talk about and just that one ETF. I did talk about the Vanguard small cap value. I used to own it in my own personal portfolio, but I was overweighted in these small cap value funds. I have them in numerous, like my retirement portfolio, my my personal one, and I was just like, no, I need to cut back. So I did sell it out of there, but it is a among the cheaper of the small cap value. It has been around since 2004, so that's why people also like it. The low expense ratio and the ticker there is V as in Victor, B as in boy, R as in Robert. Then the stocks we talked about, AKA brands, AKA is the ticker there, the Verative, VRTV, Sterling Infrastructure Play, S. TRL and then Urban Outfitters, URBN, kind of just put that one out there because everybody does know that one. But keep an eye out on the small cap value stocks because there's some interesting things happening there. They are still cheap. And as you can see just from this podcast, not it's not all bad news. It's not all bad things going on with some of these companies on the small cap side. So dig around, see what you can find and have some exposure to small cap value because historically speaking, it is the best performing asset class over long periods of time, even better than the S&P 500, but you got to really hold on to it for a long period of time to make it happen. So, um, that's the story on the small caps. I love covering them. That's the story on just the beginning of this book, The Case for Long-Term Value Investing by Jim Cullen. And that was just the short three-page chapter. And that was just one podcast on that. So I will be back with more from that book. You might want to check it out yourself. But um, it has these kind of interesting little small chapters, which are easy to read and just kind of give you, you know, some background on these basic concepts. And I am going to check out the dividends next to see what he has to say about that, because that's in favor 
right now. And a lot of us like getting some of these dividend payouts here in 2023. So as always, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of these episodes. You can get us on uh, Apple. You can get us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. We're with SoundCloud, but get us under Zach's Market Edge. Search for the Zach's Market Edge on SoundCloud. You'll get the Market Edge podcast and the Value Investor podcast. I do both every week, but get us somewhere and I'll see you again next time on the Value Investor. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.